Good to be together this morning. Be good to be able to worship together, to study God's Word together. Um, I always look forward to this, and it's always a blessing and honor to be able to preach. I've had two weeks now to prepare this sermon, thanks to Garland. And I've been, it was an overhauled sermon. I've been wanting to do this sermon for a while on the subject of Ecclesiastes. And as we look at certain subjects uh, this month in regards to uh, contentment and what God wants us to do with our lives and kind of a, a theme I've been running on this year, Ecclesiastes helps me to think about what's most important, what God gives me. You know, I, I kind of had a mentality, I remember growing up, where I'll do whatever God you want me to, but I was kind of miserable about it. I don't need to be miserable about it. That's not what God wants me to do. He wants us to have joy. That's a fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to look at some of the things and what the Bible has to say in the book of Ecclesiastes that I think will encourage us to reflect on our life, to think about the good things that God gives us. And I think it starts with a good question. This is right out of Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 12. Before we go further, though, and we look at that, I ask that you pray with me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and we thank you for the blessings of having the Bible and having the scriptures and having the life of Christ to reflect upon. We ask your blessings upon our hearts and our minds now as we think upon your wisdom that is given to us uh, through Solomon and through the scriptures that we are studying. Father, help us to use these things to change our life, to change our attitude and our heart. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So who knows what is good for man? I think the obvious answer to that is, well, God knows what's good for man. Uh, and it, the question is, is, why his few days are there on the earth? Now, you might be thinking of the book of Ecclesiastes, and some people have kind of a negative reaction at first. The, usually they remember the first two verses of Ecclesiastes and the last two verses. The first two verses, all vanity is vanity, all of life is vanity. And it's kind of, wow, that's... that's depressing. And then you get down to the last two verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and you read uh, verses 13 and 14, and you see the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. A lot of people just stop right there. And there's a lot in between those two. And I hope that we will think about that this morning. And those are powerful passages. But there's a, there's a whole stream of thought there, and you can see Solomon kind of wrestling, looking over his life, looking at the mistakes that he's made, looking at the, his wisdom and the wisdom he sought to gain about what, what to do. And, you know, it's amazing the, the conclusion he comes to. What did Solomon discover? So he says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, if you have your Bible, you can look at verses 12 through 18. I'm not going to be reading that or showing that to you right now. I'll leave that to your reading. We're going to come to some more of that in a moment. But Solomon said he pursued all wisdom. He says, I'm going to look at how people behave throughout the world, how they live. And then he said he kind of found it an unhappy task about what he was doing because of what he uncovered at first. And he says this, that all that people do is vanity and striving after the wind. And we'll talk about the word vanity in a moment. It's not, you know, looking in the mirror and saying, oh, that's a nice looking person. You know, that's not kind of vanity we're looking at right here. We're looking at, and it's, and it's not really the kind of vanity where you think, of, oh, it means emptiness, that life is just empty. That's not what the Hebrew means here. We're going to look at it a little bit further. But it, is it all just striving after the wind? By Solomon's wisdom, he found the foolishness and madness of human actions. And he says the way that we live and the way that people behave and all the things that we pursue and the things that we think are going to make us 
happy or content or what's going to fill our lives. We rush after these things and it's all striving after the wind. And his point is, is that life is like a vapor. Remember James chapter 4 and verse 14? It's here and it's gone. It doesn't last for long. And a lot of people are trying to bottle up wind and so they can hold on to it. And a lot of priorities, a lot of, we already know that. A lot of people have these weird priorities in life. But it needs to be based in God. And God has given us things, not that He's given us commands to be burdensome. In fact, remember 1 John chapter 5? His commands are not burdensome. And if we love God, we'll keep those commandments. They're for our own blessing. But continue reading here and, and look at this. Solomon also says that this wisdom that he gained caused vexation. He was, you know, it's kind of confusing. Why do people behave this way? And as he's thinking about this and expanding on it, he says, as my knowledge grew on this, there was sorrow that came along with it. So as I'm reading through this at first, it's kind of, wow, Solomon, you're making me feel kind of down. You know, the, what is there to life? What am I, what am I doing, doing here? Is it things are just, am I supposed to just suffer for a little while and obey God and that's it? What does he reflect on? And I think you'll see a lot of these principles reflected in the New Testament. But vanity is, again, it's from the Hebrew word, havel, and it means a vapor or a breath. And so that, that common phrase you see Solomon continuing saying, striving after the wind, he's reflecting on it. It's, that, it's called parallelism in the Old Testament, where the writer will say something, and then he'll say it again in another way. And so when he says vanity and striving after the wind, he's reflecting upon that. He's saying life is here and then it's gone. The nature of life is like the wind. And there's a lot of things you might strive after, the things, the goals you might set. And you might come down and finally in the last days wonder, what's the whole point of it all? Is there any uh, ultimate purpose? And you start thinking about your life, um, what people will remember about you. You know, I don't know the names of my great-great-grandparents. I don't remember them, of course. I've never met them. I remember my great-grandparents a little bit, and I can barely remember their names. And Solomon reflects on this. He says, who's going to remember you? Maybe you write something, but they still don't really remember you. You, you write something. They, they just have your writing. They have something that you've left behind. But what is life? What's the purpose of it? And he's just reflecting on it. He says, all is vanity. And I, that brings up the good question, what's the purpose of it then? And We've already looked at part of it, as Ecclesiastes says in chapter 12, is to keep God's commandments and to fear Him. But there's, there's more to it to understand about the good things in life. Because some people might hear that and they say, well, that's not good, I don't want that. There are good things in life that God wants you to have in following Him and being obedient. So we're going to look at those things, what Solomon says. So Solomon says, I pursued every pleasure. He could have. He had the wisdom, he had the money. He essentially had Israel set up as an empire without being an empire, without having to conquer anybody, without having any kings. You remember when you read about Solomon, you hear about all the tributes that people pay to him. You also, most people when they think about Solomon, they think about his many wives. So you, you start looking at those, but Solomon says, I pursued every pleasure to every extent, and I look for wisdom throughout all the earth. And he says, all of it is vanity. He says, anything I wanted, I had. In Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 8, he says, I, if I wanted a house, I had a house. I built all these houses. I built vineyards. I built gardens. Every kind of fruit tree. I had many servants, male and female, he says. Flocks, silver, gold, and none of these, he said, satisfied him. They didn't really bring any fulfilling joy in the end. And that right there should be a great reflection. And it's something that Christ always taught us. He says, don't, don't be serving mammon and God. You can't serve both of them. We read about that in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he says, 
Your treasures need to be in heaven. That's where your priority is. That's where joy is going to come from. Listen to what Solomon says here. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 9 through 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 9 through 11. He says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. He knew this. God had given him wisdom. He says, Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Everything he wanted, he said he had. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. Now listen to that. So in everything he's doing here, and everything he's pursuing, he finds pleasure in the actual toil, the work, the labor. And, you know, that might sound like a peculiar, peculiar thing. A lot of people are trying to get to the point where they don't have to work, where they can just enjoy what they have. And he says, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. What was it? That he was working, that he was laboring, that I took pleasure in the actual labor. He says, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he says, I did all this, and I enjoyed the labor of doing it, but when I got down to the end and I got the reward, I just wasn't happy with it. I wasn't satisfied. So what's the point of it? And then he recognizes it doesn't matter anyways. It's just going to disappear. I have a house. I have a car. It's going to wear out. They're going to decay. They're not going to last. One's going to outlive the other, either me or my home. I don't know which one. And so you find out um, it's all vanity. It's all passing away is what Solomon says. And Solomon saw that his wisdom did not keep him from the same catastrophes that he says the fool endures. He says, I got all this wisdom, but the foolish man... He still has to, he suffers the way that I do. He says no strength, no wealth, no wisdom could keep him from enduring hardship and suffering in life. He says, what's the point of it all? So I have all this wealth. I got the wisdom. I gained strength. And what's it for? It all seems, again, it's a striving after the wind. He says, one day, he reflects on, he says, one day I'm going to die. Nobody's going to remember me. I'm going to pass on everything that I've done, everything I've acquired onto somebody else, talking probably about his sons. And he's thinking, what if they're fools? I don't know. And it's a foolish thing. All these things that we acquire just to pass on to the next generation. What's it all for? And so, again, you might be getting to the point here thinking, that just seems kind of a downer. But he says, good and days are co- bad days are coming in life. He says, but the light of life is sweet. There's a sweetness that God has given you life, and it is a good thing that you live your life, and that you live it in the way in which God has told you to. And he gives instructions about that. A little bit further, Ecclesiastes 2, 24 to 26, Solomon says this, There's nothing better for a person that he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. In the end, Solomon said, I did all this work to get what I wanted, but what I wanted didn't make me happy, but the work did. Why? He says, that's what God's given for man. You eat, you drink, those are blessings from God, they're gifts from God, and to labor. And I think that teaches us something, that we need to find joy, and we're going to look at this a bit further, find joy in what we're laboring to do. Now you might say, I'm retired, well, that doesn't... You're just changing jobs then. You're still toiling. You're still doing something. And you still have something that you need to be finding joy in. So Solomon goes on here. He says, this also I saw is from the hand of God. This is from God's hand. That I eat, drink, that I find enjoyment, uh, enjoyment in my toil, in my labor, and what I work for. He says, for apart from him, who can eat 
Or who can have enjoyment? Apart from God, what do you have? How can you really have any joy? I mean, if you look from it, and I mentioned this before, from an atheistic perspective, uh, if you were to assume there's no God, then you're going to imagine that one day all the stars are going to burn out, all the galaxies are going to grow cold, and everything's going to drift off into nothing. All humanity and life will go extinct. Every writing will be essentially useless. What's the point of it all? I mean, if you look at it that way, and you see that, and Ecclesiastes is a great book encountering the atheistic thinking. The life where people try to live and say, I'm not going to think about God, I'm not going to pretend like he's not there and has no part in my life. And the whole point of it is, is the hope, it just becomes, it becomes vanity. The point is gone. The meaning is gone. The joy of life is gone when you do that. And he says, for the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom. If you please God, he gives him wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting. You're just gathering and collecting. For what? Only to give to one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. Some interesting things that Solomon says here. Now to add to that, I want to make some observations. This will be our exposition this morning. I encourage you to open your Bible and look with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 and following. Now if you look a little bit before there, there's the first eight verses. You remember that, that section of Ecclesiastes? There's a time for everything. There's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die. You remember that? So at the conclusion of that, this is what Solomon writes here. Verse 9 through 13. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Eternity into man's heart. What does that mean? And yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. All the things you might be looking for. You know, I hear about it. Uh, men trying to pursue success in different ways and to become depressed. If you look at some of the statistics, you'll see that men are four to five times more likely than women to commit suicide. They get down. They don't know where to go. They don't know where to find joy in life. Yet Solomon, he reflected upon this all and he's given the answers. God has provided the answers by his Holy Spirit through Solomon. And we have him here in Scripture to tell us. And this is an excellent summary of how we have enjoyment by God's gift in life. And so God has given man labor. He's given us work, and we need to take uh, pleasure in that. He's made everything beautiful in its own time, and so we need to uh, take joy in what we're doing, whatever our occupation is. I thank God every week I get to study the Bible and to preach it and teach it, and I don't, I don't want another job. I love it, and I enjoy it, and I start thinking about, well, what if I did this or that? I'd probably take joy in that as well, but I thank God for what I have, and I'm going to enjoy it because he's given it to me now, and it is a gift from him, and I need to realize that sometimes it's not about the the end goal that you're looking for. Eternity, of course, is that ultimate goal, but those little goals throughout life where we're saying, well, I want to retire, and I want to do this, and I want to buy this, and I want to do this, I want to go here. 
All those will in, ultimately be in striving after the wind. He also says nothing better exists for man than to be joyful and to do good as long as he lives. God's put eternity in your heart. You need to be reflecting on that eternal life that he has blessed and offered to us. And he says to be joyful. That's something that you can do. And you'll find it in life by the way that you live and by the way that you perceive what you do, your work, your labor. And then it's not just eat and drink and be merry. You know, we've got New Testament scriptures that reflect upon that and Jesus saying that's, there's more to life than that. And there is. He says it is to do good. That is to follow God. So these are things that are a gift from God. These are the things where you can pursue a lot of things in life. But when I read Ecclesiastes, this is my mindset and the way that I live. is I look at what Solomon said here, and I see I want to eat and drink with my family. I want to enjoy the time that I spend together. And I want to do my job the best that I can and enjoy it while I'm doing it. I see those things. And I want to do good. I want to love my neighbor as myself and love my enemy. And I want to love God with all my heart. Those are things that are essential that will give you joy and meaning in life. Should joy be a product of the Christian life? And of course we'd say, yes, yes, definitely. You know, but I grew up, and I remember hearing the preacher, a minister, he said, listen, God never promised you happiness. He never promised you things like joy. And I thought, that just, it didn't sound right. Yeah, there's going to be suffering in life. The Bible says that. We're going to endure hard times. And Solomon says that in Ecclesiastes. But it's the second of the fruit of the Spirit. When you read about the fruits of the Spirit there in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah, joy is a part of the Christian life. And it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And it's something that God has given us for life. There's a beauty to life and a wonder to it and something that should be encouraging. There are a few things that also stood out to me from Solomon that also add to this enjoyment that I, I want to note before we conclude this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I want you to listen to what Solomon says here, verses 18 through 20. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be, seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment. You hear that common theme. Enjoyment in what? And all the toil by which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth, possessions, and power to enjoy them. Now notice that. Some people are in places of authority, and God says, I put you there, you need to enjoy that. I've given you wealth, and you need to enjoy that. Now that doesn't mean that you don't give. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says that. He says to those, he says, to the wealthy, I say that you are to enjoy your wealth, but you are to share. You're to give to others. That's a part of it. That's a part of the joy. To be generous. He says, again, everyone to whom God has given wealth, possessions, and power to enjoy them, to accept his lot, and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. You see what Solomon has revealed to us and said about life. And he, he teaches throughout that we need to be generous and constantly giving. Another passage that comes to mind is Ecclesiastes 11, where he says that. You ever heard this phrase, cast your bread on, upon the waters? Uh, here in the scriptures. Some of the commentators, they debate over it. They're like, well, what does it mean? 
But again, here's that parallelism. Solomon tells us what he means. Cast your bread on the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. This week we were studying um, on Wednesday night, last week, we were going through Luke and we're looking at the shrewd servant. And the shrewd servant in the parable that Jesus told was a servant who essentially got fired and then he went to his uh, ex-employer or his employer's uh, debtors who owed him something and lowered their bills so that he would be in favor with them and be able to work for them later on. And Jesus says, we need to be the same way, but in our generosity, in our shrewdness, in giving to others. And we see the same thing here reflected from Solomon. He says, take what is yours, your bread, and cast it on many waters. Be generous. Give to others. And he says, and one day when disaster comes, there'll be someone there for you. When I look at the scriptures, I see giving as the way that we express love to others. We either give our time, we give our money, we give something. That's how we tell people, I care about you. I love you. And I value you. And Jesus promises there in Luke 6, verse 38, it's on the screen there. He says, if you give, God will give to you even more. And we need to do that. We need to be generous. As we're thinking on these things, how can someone find joy in their labor? You know, someone might say, well, you don't know my employer, or you don't know my job, and you don't, you don't know. Yes, I understand that a lot of employment, it would be very hard to find enjoyment in it. And it might be that you might need to change to another job, to another labor. But Solomon says this, he says, it's better that if you work with a son or with a brother, work with someone whom you're, you're close with. I would even put it like a, a brother or a son. I was um, talking to a friend yesterday, and he was uh, talking about how he's been doing these things around the house and, and building things up. And he says, it's so much easier because my father comes over. And he doesn't really help me, he just sits there with me. And uh, we talk, we talk about God, and we sing songs together. And if I mess up, he says, well, that's crooked. You need to fix that. And he says, it makes the work so much easier. And it's true. And it, well, sometimes we read the scripture here in the latter part in Ecclesiastes, and we think, oh, this is, this is about marriage. Well, it does tie into marriage. But it ties into everything that you do, your labor, your work. It's good to work with somebody else. So Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Their time together. For if they fall, one will lift him up. They take care of each other. They will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and is not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But, uh, but how can they keep warm alone? You know, you might, um, you ever been camping before? You know, I've known guys who've gone camping and it's uh, just men out in tents and they get cold. And then how they stay warm that night, they don't tell anybody else about. But they stay in the same tent next to each other. Um, and, you know, that's not a part of the, the, the camping anymore. That's just, you know, we're going to stay warm. Um, but when you, you read about this, you know, it makes you think, yeah, you need someone there to lift you up, someone there to help you, someone to help you um, when you're in danger. And then we keep reading here, and he says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold, threefold cord is not quickly broken. So again, to have two or three who are together, they make a group strong. And that's the way that you want to live life. You need friends. You need someone who labors with you. 
who is your partner. And furthermore, I think the greater partner, after you've done that labor, you come home, and Solomon says this. And I wonder about this because of Solomon's number of wives, how he, he means this. But I think in hindsight, as him coming to the end of his life, he's thinking, I could have done it better. I think he, know, he knew I should have had just one wife. But Ecclesiastes 9, verses 9 through 10, he says, Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, your passing life, that he has given to you under the sun. God's given you these things, and he's given you your wife, and he's given you these things for joy. And he says, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in the grave. When you die, when your body is there, your, your body's not doing anything until the resurrection to which you are going. So again, he says, you want joy in life, there it is. And as we're beginning to, to finish this morning, I'll, I was looking over my, I have an old sermon. It was so old, I didn't even have a PowerPoint for it, so... That means it's five years old or six years old. But I was looking over the old notes, and I thought, I want to preach this, but I can't preach this one. So the last two weeks, I've just been reading Ecclesiastes over and over again because it, it's very encouraging. You know, at first, you read the first verse and the last verse, but when you start reading everything else, this is the joy that God has given. Now, he also gives instruction to the young, to the youthful, he says, rejoice, O young man. Have joy now in your youth. Let your heart cheer in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. So you pursue those things that you're looking for. And, of course, Solomon says other things about what's in the heart of man. He talks about the evil there. He says, and you pursue those things that are in your heart. But what's, he says, but you better know this. But know for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. You need to be aware of what you're doing in your youth. He says, remove vexation. That is, remove any kind of confusion from your heart. And put away pain from your body. Don't abuse your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. They're all passing. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And he gives the description after that of getting older and your body wearing down and some of the suffering that one would endure. He says, in your youth, remember your Creator. Remember Him. These are the things, that's how you can use your youth and have joy in them. You know, I was finishing up in this study on Ecclesiastes, and Solomon says, listen, judgment is coming. And just like we read about in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Solomon says, all have sinned. He says, the righteous, he says, all the righteous, no matter how righteous they are, they've sinned. And he says, in the heart of man, that God wants man, man upright, but man has gone after, he says, these schemes, and that he's taken evil into his heart. And so, while eternity is in man's heart, he's also at conflict with the end result. And if you want to have joy, and you want the eternal outcome to be right, the thing that you need to do is to trust God. And you'll have joy, not all the time, but you'll have joy coming out of those hardest days, times of suffering and toil. When I was looking over Ecclesiastes, here's my list of things that stood out to me. You might find others or add to this. I've kind of cut it down as much as I could. Things that stood out as far as what God has given us for enjoyment and living our life. He says, rejoice and do good. 
He says, enjoy the good of your labor. He says, labor with another. He says, live joyfully with your spouse. Enjoy your wealth and give generously. And remember God in your youth. And lastly, fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is the end summary of it all. God's commandments are not burdensome. They're for your own good. And our last verse this morning, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. Solomon says this, he says, the end of the matter, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So we're not reading about, oh, life is vanity, keep God's commandments, there's no real joy in it. That's the opposite. There's joy in life, and it is to follow God. He says, for God, he also says here, for God will bring every deed into judgment. Know that. If you live a wicked life, God will judge you. And with every secret thing, whether good or evil, God knows what you do. They will come to judgment. I encourage you this morning, choose God. Live in joy with your Creator. Do the things that He says. Follow His commandments. Listen to what the Scriptures have to say. What God has given you in your life, and He's given you a labor, and He's given you a mission, the Great Commission, as a part of the church. He's offering you eternal life through Jesus Christ if you believe and confess that Christ rose from the dead. And having confessed your faith and repented of your sins, you can be baptized, you'll be buried, immersed in water. And the Bible says when you rise up from baptism, you come into the newness of life. Colossians 2 says that's when all your sins are washed away. This morning, if you want to obey the gospel and be baptized into Christ, we'd love to talk to you more about that and pray with you. Whatever your needs are, you need encouragement this morning, you have struggles, trials, we want to pray with you. We encourage you to come now. Let's sing together.